Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To all my bed crimers, hi, how are you? I hope you're having a great weekend. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Let me just ask that after watching and or listening to the video, if you find you enjoyed it or learned something, do me a favor, smash the like button and consider subscribing. Now, let's dig in. Well, hello there. It's been a hot minute. I've been very busy with my dad. He came very close to dying, but I'm very grateful and thankful that he is still with us and we will get Thanksgiving. So I'm happy for that. And it's a wonderful gift. And I thought I'd try to squeeze in a video right here. It won't be as well edited as I normally do because I just don't have time. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you guys and give you a video. So I apologize if you can hear me breathing or making yucky sounds. Usually I try to edit those out. It's not going to happen today. All right. It was a wild ride in true crime this past week. On November 13th, the sad anniversary of the case in Moscow, Idaho, that saw the bright lights of students Zana Kornodo, Maddie Mogan, Ethan Chapin, and Kaylee Gonsalves extinguished. Donna Adelson, the mother of the recently convicted, Charlie Adelson, was arrested and charged in connection with her son-in-law, Dan Markell's murder as she was fleeing to Vietnam. Imagine that, a 73-year-old mother purchasing a one-way ticket to Vietnam, clearly in an attempt to avoid arrest and possible imprisonment, for helping to plot her brilliant son-in-law's demise. How can we completely blame her kids, Charlie and his sister Wendy, who was divorced from Markel, from lacking human decency and morality when they have a mom like that? Seeing Donna Adelson subjected to the humiliation of wearing a turtle suit at her court hearing was a happy moment. Also this week, the yoga instructor turned deadly assassin, Caitlin Armstrong, was found guilty and sentenced to 90 years in prison. She too extinguished a bright light, Mariah Mo Wilson, a 25-year-old young woman carving her way to greatness in the field of gravel cycle racing. Armstrong allowed jealousy and envy to cloud her judgment which destroyed Mariah, Mariah's future, her parents, her brother, her own family, the Armstrongs, and her own life. Mariah's mother, in her victim impact statement, told Armstrong that if she'd only tried to talk to Mariah about the man in the middle of the so-called love triangle, Colin Strickland, Mariah would have understood. She would have listened. She would have cared about Caitlin's feelings. It is always better to try and have an adult conversation than to grab a weapon and take a life. Now Caitlin will have to think about what could have been from a musty prison cell as she watches her youth and beauty fade. All that plastic surgery for nothing. She shed nary a tear as she made her way out of court. She probably is already plotting her next attempt to escape the clutches of the law. It will be the third attempt to escape 
and I think it's only a matter of time. Here are portions of the victim impact statements made by Mariah's friend Caitlin Cash, at whose home Mariah died, and by Mariah's mother Karen Wilson. Be prepared to cry. Caitlin, I want you to know that I fought for Mo with everything I had that night. From the moment that I got home and started doing chest compressions, which was the longest 10 minutes of my entire life, I remember feeling so relieved when the police arrived that help was finally there. People who really knew what they were doing and who could help and care for her. I fought for her afterwards when I was pulled from my home by police and taken downstairs. I initially refused to go to the police station that night because I didn't want her to be alone. In one of the body cam videos, I say something along the lines of, I can't leave her. I'm the only one she has here. I couldn't understand why they weren't bringing her downstairs to the ambulance so that they could rush her to the hospital. I asked one of the officers why they weren't bringing her down. And that's when he told me that she unfortunately didn't make it. That was the first moment that night when I realized that there was no coming back from this. I think I had just assumed that as soon as she was taken to a hospital, that she was going to be okay. It never actually crossed my mind in the chaos of that night that she wouldn't be alive, that she would die, that she was already dead when I arrived home. I was questioned for almost three hours that night. They finally let me wash the blood off my hands in the police station bathroom. And I'll never forget that moment in the bathroom. Watching the sink turn red and wanting to put it back on my hands because it was the only thing I had left of her. That's just a portion of what Cash said. And now I'm going to share what Mo's mother, Karen, had to say to Caitlin Armstrong. First, I want to say I want to thank Your Honor for giving us this opportunity. It really means a lot. Caitlin Armstrong. I'm not sure if my words can penetrate your heart, but I'm going to try. I hate what you did to my beautiful daughter. It was very selfish and cowardly. That violent act on May 11. It was cowardly because you never chose to face her woman to woman in a civil conversation. She would have listened. She was an amazing listener. She would have cared about your feelings. She was a caring, empathetic person. If you allowed yourself to actually know her, you never, ever would have wanted to hurt her. This never would have happened. You and Colin could have had a beautiful life together. You destroyed that. You ruined your life, your family's lives, our lives and crushed the hearts of many more. When you shot Mariah in the heart, you shot me 
This week also saw the disgraced lawyer from the low country of South Carolina who was convicted of doing in his wife and son, Alex Murdoch, also had a court date this past week. On Friday, he pleaded guilty to stealing millions of dollars from vulnerable clients in dastardly schemes for more than a decade. By pleading guilty, Murdoch resolved an astounding 101 total state charges related to financial wrongdoing. The guilty plea will allow 18 victims to begin the process of healing, and in an upcoming hearing this month, those victims will finally be able to look Murdoch in the eye and say how they feel about him and how his scheming to steal their insurance settlement monies affected their lives. Somehow it feels like no matter what they say, it's going to fall on deaf ears. Murdoch still thinks he can somehow scheme his way out of his life sentence in prison for the deaths of his wife and his son, in my opinion. He will be sentenced for these financial crimes on November 28th. Let's hope Judge Clifton Newman socks it to him. And then there was the Wisconsin woman, 39-year-old Jessie Krzyzewski, who was found guilty of doing in her friend, 62-year-old Lynn Hernan, by spiking her water bottle with a lethal dose of Visine eye drops. Who knew? Jessie, who was already in her friend's will, decided she wanted the money sooner rather than later, and that she didn't want to share it with Lynn's other beneficiary. Greed fueled this dastardly plot against Hernan. Jesse was also found guilty of defrauding Hernan of $300,000 in the two years prior to her death. Now Jesse gets to contemplate her mistakes in a dank prison cell with a bunch of other not-so-nice women as companions. Unlike Caitlin Armstrong, Jesse lost her composure when she was declared guilty. Caitlin just walked out of the court with a stone face. This Jesse cried a river of ugly tears for all to see. Boo-hoo! You should have cried when you did in your generous friend, not just now because you're bummed out about the consequences. And finally, we have Rex Hewerman's court hearing this past week. He stands accused of doing in three young women who were working as escorts back in the early 2000s. Hewerman's wife, Asa Ellerup, turned up with a documentary crew from Peacock for the hearing. She's getting $1 million for this deal. Not a bad payday 
simply for being the wife of an accused serialist. By the way, someone gave me grief about using the term serialist instead of the two-word alternative. YouTube does not like that two-word variety and thus will not allow me to get paid for videos if I use that word. So sorry, but I need to eat. Thus, I will continue to use serialist. Anyway, Asa smiled at Rex, and her lawyer says she doesn't believe her husband committed these crimes. I'm wondering what her theory is, then, regarding how her hair and Rex's ended up on three of the Gilgo Beach victims' bodies out in that desolate marsh on Long Island. Did some random stranger grab some strands of her red hair and one of her husband's and put them on the camouflaged burlap swaddling the bodies? Doubtful. And how is it that burner phones Rex purchased and used made calls to the escorts who died prior to their disappearances? And a large hulking guy with a first-generation dark green Chevy Avalanche, just like Rex's, was also seen near Amber Costello before she vanished into the night, never to be seen alive again. Hewerman was one of the few men to fit that description in Long Island who drove such a vehicle. Ella Rupp's reactions to her husband's arrest for these very disturbing crimes are beginning to perplex me, I'm just being honest. At first she said, so it is what it is. Now apparently she's changed her mind. She has been very vocal about what the FBI did to her already ramshackle cluttered house in Massapequa Park. And yes, they tore that place up and they should have put it all back together for her. But I haven't heard a lot of compassion for the victims or their families. And now this peacock deal is kind of rubbing me the wrong way. I know she needs to make sure she can feed and shelter herself and her two children. And I don't want to underscore that. She needs that money. But for some reason, her smiling at Rex in court and this $1 million payday just are kind of upsetting. It feels wrong that such a large check should result from your husband being arrested for allegedly being responsible for at least three young women's torturous deaths, and likely more people as well. Thinking about Ellerup's reactions to the accusations against her, by all accounts, bully of a husband, got me thinking about how differently serialist Dennis Rader's wife reacted when FBI agents turned up at her house out of the blue while she was waiting with lunch for Dennis Rader to drop the bombshell news that her husband, was responsible for many people's murders in Wichita, Kansas. Raider, who gave himself the moniker BTK, ended up confessing fairly soon after his arrest. Is that why his wife Paula D. cut off all ties with him, never spent another night in the home they shared, where he'd hidden trophies from his victims, why she applied for an emergency divorce, which was granted the same day, and why she has never seen or spoken to her husband of 34 years since the day he confessed. There have been no prison visits, no letters, no phone calls, nothing. For her, it was like her husband, the man she thought she knew, had died. Paula never suspected for a second that her husband was leading a double life. Rader was able to compartmentalize his two lives 
and keep one from bleeding into the other. The only thing that Paula said to Dennis Rader before his arrest was that his handwriting looked just like that of BTK. But this wasn't something that made her think, my husband must be BTK. In Raider's family's case, they really had zero clue what he was up to in his spare time. His daughter Carrie said that if they'd found out, they would have run out of that house and straight to the police. So the news was like a tsunami that flooded the landscape of their lives, washing away everything they'd known before. And then when he confessed, there was no reason to try and figure out where he was at when the crimes occurred in an attempt to try and come up with alibis. He admitted his guilt. Perhaps that's why there's such a vast chasm between Paula's behavior post her husband's arrest and Asa Ellerup's. Note that Paula faded into obscurity as well. She doesn't do interviews. She's never been paid to do a documentary. Her daughter, Carrie Rawson, has been the one to step up and talk. I believe Rawson did this to try and help show that her family feels awful for the victims, that she too has suffered because of her father's choices, and to try and heal herself from this trauma and make sense of it all. Clearly, there's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to finding out your relative is an alleged serialist. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, hope to see you guys soon.